0: We begin a new journey this morning, a journey to the cross, listening to what our Lord said. One of the statements is what I just told the kids about, I am the bread of life. We think about that, and it's appropriate that we do. It's the first of his I am statements, but at the beginning of the season of Lent, it's appropriate to hear him saying, I am the bread, as we prepare to take bread and juice. To remember and show our belief. An Old Testament and a New Testament lesson this morning. The Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 55. The first seven verses. Page 602 in your pew Bibles, if you wish to follow along. Titled in the NIV, An Invitation to the Thirsty. Isaiah 55, 1 through 7. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen, listen. That you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And now we turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter six, verses 35 through 59, page 866 in your pew Bibles where Jesus fulfills the words of Isaiah 55 and enables us to accept the invitation. Beginning at verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. A preacher I know of began a sermon once with these words. There's a restaurant in a city somewhere, a sort of quick lunch place with no tablecloths on the table, just the ketchup and mustard jars on the bare wood. It seems to be raining outside. An elderly man with a raincoat and umbrella has turned at the door. Another man glances up as he sits smoking a cigar over a newspaper and the remains of his coffee. Two teenagers sit at a table, one of them with a cigarette in his mouth. They are all looking at the same thing which is an old woman and a small boy who are sharing a table with the teenagers. Their heads are bowed. They are saying grace. The people watching them watched with dazed fascination. The people are watching something that you feel they may have been part of once but are part of no longer. The watchers are watching something that they've all but forgotten and will probably forget again as soon as the moment passes. They could be watching creatures from another planet. The old woman and the boy in their old-fashioned clothes, praying their old-fashioned prayer, are leftovers from a day that has long since ceased to be. That preacher was Dr. Frederick Beekner, and he remembered looking at one of Norman Rockwell's Saturday Evening Post magazine covers with that picture on it. And as he remembered that picture, he reflected on the church. And as he reflected on the church, he asked the question, is it possible something is missing? Here's what he said. Even when churches are full to overflowing, it is often hard not to sense an inner emptiness. The sense that though the great feast is still in progress and many of the guests still in their seats, the heart has somehow gone out of it. The passion, the adventure has been replaced by shadows and the host himself is no longer there. Often, I'm afraid, the church is a place where bread and wine and prayers and hymns and worship have little more significance than the secret rites of a Greek letter fraternity. Sadder still, the church often seems to be a gathering of men and women who, whatever they find there, take so little of it out into the world with them that if one of them were to sit down at McDonald's and say grace, or say or do anything to suggest that he or she is a Christian, the golden arches would shake with astonishment. And so, I suspect, would we. Is it possible that something is missing? There was something missing in Capernaum that day. There was a crowd of people, a congregation of worshipers. They had heard the words, but they had never met the word. And the word wanted to say something to jolt them into the realization that they must respond. So he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he declared that day, and he declares it again here this morning. It's obvious that he chose the words deliberately. I didn't read the passage, but just before this, he had fed 5,000 plus people with five little pieces of bread and two fish. Now he wanted them to realize that there was more to know about bread than that they had eaten some. Number one, bread is necessary. It's true that you can't live by bread alone, but you can't live without it either. Bread understood not as a biscuit or a loaf, but as nourishment, as food. You can't live without it. Bread is necessary. I am the bread. You need me to live you can have your cars and your houses and your vacations and your spouse and your family and all that you have and count dear but if you don't have me you don't really live bread is as i said to the kids a minute ago a symbol of what everyone needs bread is for everyone when it's considered as the nourishment, the sustenance we need to stay alive and be healthy. Bread is for everyone and I am the bread, Jesus said that day. However high or low your IQ, however big or small your bank account, however significant or insignificant your person, however important or unimportant the circles within which you move, All of you need to know that Jesus is for you. Bread is something you need all the time. You may have eaten yesterday, but you need to do it again today. You may eat today, but you'll need to do it again tomorrow. Bread is to be eaten daily. I am the bread, he said that day. Your hunger for me can't be removed just by taking one little bite, every once in a while. A one-time decision is not enough to keep you strong. You need me every day. We don't eat simply to be polite, at least not usually, or, or to keep the hunger pangs away, but to be healthy, to be strong, to make progress. To grow. James Montgomery Boyce said once, we do not have a strong church today. What we have is a weak, anemic Christianity, a lot of easy believism coupled with morality. What is the reason for our sickly Christian postures? Undoubtedly the reason is our deep failure to feed upon Jesus Christ, who alone can make us grow. I'm the bread of life, he said. Eat me, take me in, and live. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What in the world is the flesh of the Son of God that must be eaten? Well, it is first of all, the very physical, tangible reality of the bodily presence of Jesus Christ on this earth. It is Immanuel, God, with us. One of the things that is often at least underappreciated by the church, to say nothing of the world, is the awesome miracle of the almighty creator God assuming human flesh and becoming one of us. The infleshment of Jesus is bread for the world. For you, for me, flesh is his humanity. The fact that he became one of us, take that in and live. But his flesh is not just his life, it's also his death. And that's a miracle that is even less appreciated as it should be, by the church and certainly the world today, that you, my Lord, should die for me. What is often missing from the church is a kind of a breathless wonder, not just about the incarnation, but the crucifixion of the Son of God, his flesh, his mortality, must be taken in and become part of us. And then the Jews, it's so easy for us to sit here and point fingers at them, but the Jews did what we often do. They had a discussion group to talk about what on earth it meant to say, I gave you my flesh to eat. They appointed a study committee to determine what it was all about. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, you might have expected Jesus, hearing that, knowing that, to uh, try again. Let's see if we can say it in a way that they will understand it more clearly and will have less to argue about. But this was his answer. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of of man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I doubt that did much to calm them down. I don't think it was intended to. I think Jesus wanted to arouse them out of their lethargy, to break up their study committee and say, stop discussing it and decide about it. I think Jesus was trying to get them to stop thinking about eating and eat. Eating is a choice, you know. Most of the time, anyway. Normally speaking, eating is a choice. Nobody eats by accident. Nobody eats unintentionally. We choose to eat. Jesus is calling each one of us to make that choice when it comes to him. There is something even in the word Jesus used for eat that implies a process. Eating has to be a process. Healthy eating is not simply taking a bite now and then, or once for all, or nibbling occasionally. Eating is a process. And like eating, the process of taking Jesus in and making him a part of who we are is an ongoing thing. It has a beginning. It has no ending. You're never finished taking Jesus in. The verb Jesus uses even as implied in it what all of us know from the practice of eating, and that is the idea of enjoyment savoring what you eat saying I can't wait till we have this again and eat some more of this James Montgomery Boyce whom I quoted a moment ago put it this way this is what it means to eat Christ's flesh and drink his blood it's to commit yourself to him it's to accept his promise and pledge on your behalf and to repeat his promise vowing to be his for eternity If you have done that, you have done the most important thing there is to be done in this life, regardless of what you may have already accomplished or may yet accomplish. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And something happens to us, not something magical or superstitious, But something happens to us when we take his flesh and blood into ourselves. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, he said. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. And I in him. The one who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said, did you hear it? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That reminded me of so many times I have stood in sanctuaries like this or in funeral homes beside caskets with the body of a dearly loved, believing relative departed. And someone is standing next to it who doesn't just know about eternal life, who doesn't just hope there's heaven, but has the experience right there of eternal life and its reality. And it carries that person through. It's the only thing that could. Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. There's there's this sense not just the idea, not just the perception, but the experience of being held up, of being surrounded, of being embraced by Jesus. I just had someone say to me this week, what I have heard often, and and if you've ever been there, you know the truth, I can just feel people praying. That does not mean that when you and I pray for them, they feel our presence. They feel Jesus' presence. There is a remarkable text that it would be easy to ignore in Judges chapter 6, verse 34, in the story of Gideon, that reads in the NIV this way, "...the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon." How often don't you read that in Scripture? "...the Spirit of the Lord came upon someone." In this particular text, the literal translation would be, the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Made Gideon his coat, made Gideon his outfit, got inside Gideon so they saw him, they heard him, but what they met, or whom they met, was God. Ever since I ran across that translation, I have never entered a sanctuary like this one to come up here or anywhere else without praying on the way. Lord, will you wear me today? Will you speak through me today? May they see me and hear me and get to know me and meet you. That's a prayer, we all ought to pray. Jesus said, the one who feeds on me will live. That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By eating, And drinking Jesus, we receive the strength and the resources to live our lives the way God intended them to be lived. He's the only reason we can, but he is reason enough. It's interesting that John would conclude the story by saying he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Amid the ruins of that city, right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there is what remains of a very beautiful synagogue that I had the privilege of standing in once. Maybe it was this synagogue. An archaeologist who uncovered much of it found a large slab of stone somewhere and when he tipped it over, on the other side was an engraving of a pot of manna, the bread from heaven. Every morning in the synagogue service, a portion of Exodus 16 was to be read, the story of the manna God gave his people. Perhaps this very day in that very place, in front of that very engraving, this very crowd heard those very words about God providing the bread of life to his people. But the message proclaimed is still the same. I'm the bread of life. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, remains in me, and will live because of me. There is something crucial missing if you have not tasted Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we move from your word to your table, feed us. Feed us with the bread of life. Give us Jesus. Help us to take him into our lives. May Jesus wear us so that those who see us or hear us or know us or meet us are in touch with him and will you remain in touch with us so we may live with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen.